0: Hello and welcome to the podcast Where Did the Rabbit Go? In this weekly podcast, we celebrate curiosity, critical thinking, and evidence based skepticism. I'm your host Marco, and this is show 80 for Thursday, August 5th, 2021. Wow, it has been a month since the last time I've been behind the mic. How has your summer been so far? I took some time off and we went to visit my wife's family. Well, That really meant we just stayed inside a different house all the time. But it was good to see something different. And uh, the last four episodes were all pre-recorded, but now I'm back on the regular schedule. And this also means that this episode will be the return of our critical thinking game, Find the Fake. And since it's been so long, there's a lot to tell, some housekeeping to do, if you wish. So we are going to do all of that at the end of the show. And yes, as you can hear, I'm a little bit under the weather. Uh, We had some crazy weather here with thunderstorms and rain and a lot of dust in the air. So there's nothing to worry about. just my voice is a little bit affected. But I have to record today if I want to get the episode out for Thursday. So we have to deal with it. For this week, I'm taking inspiration from my most recent TikTok videos, where I have shifted the content a little bit, towards reasoning and critical thinking, and yes, also my views on religion and atheism, which I talked about in detail on episode 77, one of the pre-recorded ones. So in the comments that I am receiving, I can notice that many people share the same strong misunderstandings about the theory of evolution. So that is what I want to dedicate this episode to. Darwin, the theory of evolution, and what it is that those commenters usually get wrong. So let's do this, dear rabbits. So as we all know, we have a theory of evolution thanks to Charles Darwin. Let's start there. Let's learn a little bit about him and his journey. And a text that summarizes this nicely comes from Britannica. So let me just read it from there. And I will, of course, link to this text in the show notes. So a little bit of information about him. His full name, Charles Robert Darwin, born in 1809, Shrewsbury, England, and died in 1882, Down, Kent, is an English naturalist whose scientific theory of evolution by natural selection became the foundation of modern evolutionary studies. An affable county gentleman, Darwin at first shocked religious Victorian society by suggesting that animals and humans shared a common ancestry. However, his non-religious biology appealed to the rising class of professional scientists, and by the time of his death, evolutionary imagery had spread through all of science, literature, and politics. Darwin himself, an agnostic, was accorded the ultimate British accolade of burial in Westminster Abbey, London. He formulated his bold theory in private in 1837-39, to 39, after returning from a voyage around the world aboard HMS Beagle, but it was not until two decades later that he finally gave it full public expression in On the Origin of Species in 1859, a book that has deeply influenced modern Western society and thought. So let's scroll down a little bit and learn about this Beagle Voyage. The circumnavigation of the globe would be the making of the 22-year-old Darwin. Five years of physical hardship and mental rigor imprisoned within a ship's walls, offset by wide-open opportunities in the Brazilian jungles and the Andes mountains, were to give Darwin a new seriousness. As a gentleman naturalist, he could leave the ship for extended periods, pursuing his own interests. As a result, he spent only 18 months of the voyage aboard the ship. The hardship was immediate, a tormenting seasickness, and so was his questioning. On calm days, Darwin's plankton film Townit left him wondering why beautiful creatures teemed in the ocean's vastness, where no human could appreciate them. On the Cap Verde Islands in January 1832, the sailors saw bands of oyster shells running through local rocks, suggesting that Lyle was right in his geologic speculations, and that the land was rising in places, falling in others. At Salvador de Bahia, now Salvador, Brazil, the luxuriance of the rainforest left Darwin's mind in a chaos of delight, but his mind was revolted by the local slavery. For Darwin, so often alone, the tropical forests seemed to compensate for human evils. Months were spent in Rio de Janeiro amid the shimmering tropical splendor, full of gaily colored flatworms, and the collector himself became red hot with spiders. But nature had its own evils, and Darwin always remembered, with the shudder, the Parasitic ichneumon wasp, oh my god, what a name, which stored caterpillars to be eaten alive by its grubs. He would later consider that evidence against the beneficent design of nature. So, it goes on a little bit about uh, River Plate in Montevideo, Uruguay, Argentina, and um, where he discovered some fossils and then goes on. His fossil discovery raised more questions. Darwin's periodic trips over two years to the cliffs of Bahia Blanca and farther south at Port St. Julian yielded huge bones of extinct mammals. Darwin manhandled skulls, femurs, and armor plates back to the ship, relics, he assumed, of rhinoceroses, mastodons, cow-sized armadillos, and giant ground sloths. He unearthed the horse-sized mammal with a long face like an anteater's. And he returned from a 340-mile ride to Mercedes near the Odawai River with a skull 28 inches long strapped on the horse. Fossil extraction became a romance for Darwin. It pushed him into thinking of the primeval world and what had caused those giant beasts to die out. So, and then it goes on about some species that he discovered in Peru and the famous journey to the Galapagos Islands. Uh, those were volcanic prison islands crawling with marine iguanas and giant tortoises. Darwin and the crew brought small tortoises abroad as pets to join their coaties from Peru. Contrary to legend, those islands never provided Darwin's eureka moment. Although he noted that the mockingbirds differed on four islands and tagged his specimens accordingly, he failed to label his other birds what he thought were wrens, grosbeaks, finches, and oriole relatives by island. Nor did Darwin collect tortoise specimens, even though local prisoners believed that each island had its distinct race. So, yeah, I think I'll leave it here reading from this article. It's a little longer, and as I said, I'm going to link to it in the show notes so you can read the whole article. And to go a little further into his theory, let's now take a look at what exactly it states. And to do that, I'm going to pick information from a school textbook that I have used in a seventh grade. So this is information that 12 and 13-year-olds easily comprehend. This textbook is from Prentice Hall Publishing Group, and this is standard material that's used in many middle school and high school classrooms. So let's read, let's go to page 20 in chapter 1, there's a paragraph about evolution. Although individual organisms experience many changes during their lives, the basic traits they inherited from their parents usually do not change. As a group, however, any given kind of organism can evolve or change over time. Over a few generations, the changes in a group may not seem significant, But over hundreds or thousands or even millions of years, the changes can be dramatic. The ability of certain plants to survive periods without water is one example. Another example concerns fishes. Scientists study deposits containing the remains of animals that lived long ago to learn about the evolution of organisms. From the study of very early deposits, scientists know that at one time there were no fishes in Earth's waters. Yet, in more recent deposits, the remains of fishes and other animals with backbones are abundant. The ability of a group of organisms to change over time is invaluable for survival in a world that is always changing. So this is pretty clear, right? It's easy to understand, even, as in my case, my students, 12 and 13-year-olds, whose second language is English. So it's easy to get. Uh, Then there's a whole chapter about evolution, about Darwin. That goes over 30 pages. I'm just going to the last page of the chapter, to page 386. And um, there is a summary of his theory. So let's read that. Darwin's theory of evolution presented a new view of life. Summarized below. This view, profoundly different from anything known in 19th century England, continues to be upheld by research today. Many would still agree with Darwin, who wrote, there's grandeur in this view of life, that from so simple a beginning, endless forms, most beautiful and wonderful, have been and are being evolved. And now come a few bullet points that summarize the main ideas. Number one. Individual organisms in nature differ from one another. Some of this variation is inherited. Number 2. Organisms in nature produce more offspring than can survive, and many of those that survive do not reproduce. Number 3. Because more organisms are produced than can survive, members of each species must compete for limited resources. Number 4. Because each organism is unique... Each has different advantages and disadvantages in the struggle for existence. Number five. Individuals best suited to their environment survive and reproduce most successfully. The characteristics that make them best suited to their environment are passed on to the offspring. Individuals whose characteristics are not as well suited to their environment die or leave fewer offspring. This point number five is key to understand how this process of natural selection goes on. Okay, three more. Number six. Species change over time. Over long periods, natural selection causes changes in the characteristics of a species, such as in size and form. New species arise and other species disappear. Number seven. Species alive today have descended with modifications from species that lived in the past. Very important one. And finally, number eight. All organisms on earth are united into a single tree of life by common descent. So much from that schoolbook. Let's close it. To me, all of this sounds very clear. However, there is a significant amount of people who either don't comprehend this or deny this on purpose. Because it goes against their existing beliefs, their worldview, their biases their idea of creationism, mostly, right? So, let us now look at some of the arguments that I have received in my TikTok comment section and what to make of it. The first one, a classic, of course, is the argument that evolution is also quote-unquote, just a theory. People are using this argument to make their point that evolution would not have been confirmed yet, like, there wouldn't be consensus, but they are just misunderstanding the term theory completely. So let us look at the three terms hypothesis, law, and theory to clear this up. In science, an idea that has not yet been confirmed that is lacking evidence is called a hypothesis. Let's take, for example, the hypothesis that heavier objects fall to the ground faster. This is a hypothesis and we don't know yet if that hypothesis comes to be true or false. So the next step is to design an experiment. And here's the key to quote-unquote good science. We are not designing an experiment to confirm our hypothesis. We actually design the experiment to challenge the hypothesis. We should never ever fall in love with a hypothesis. Reality doesn't care for our wishful thinking. So whatever our hypothesis is, we have to try and challenge it in an experiment. So in the case of our heavy objects, let's just take balls with different masses, like a bowling ball and a tennis ball, and drop them at the same time from the same height. That's an experiment one can easily come up with. And in fact, I perform this every year with my middle schoolers in the classroom. So if done right we will observe that both objects, in fact, fall at the same speed, which means that our hypothesis cannot be supported and must therefore be rejected. Later, in a follow-up experiment, we can then find out that it's not about mass, but about air resistance. Makes sense. Think about a person opening a parachute in freefall. The mass doesn't change. The person was carrying the parachute all the time but the air-resistant changes when the parachute opens. Well, our observations strongly suggest the hypothesis that mass does not affect free-fall speed, but air resistance does. Those are, in fact, two hypotheses. If these get confirmed by different experiments, by different, totally independent people, then these hypotheses will eventually become a law, because they make consistent, verifiable predictions. And a theory is a set of laws. In this case, these free-fall laws are part of what makes the theory of gravity. So a theory is in fact confirmed. There are observations, data, there's evidence to back it up. The sentence, it's just a theory, is simply wrong. Coming back to evolution, it is a theory, meaning there is evidence. There are laws that make consistent predictions, and there are no contradictions in it. Evolution, as a theory, is a fact. And this is the beauty about science. As Neil deGrasse Tyson said it, science is still going to be true, whether you believe in it or not. In other words, reality doesn't care if you like it, and evolution is the reality. All right, let's look at another comment, which is the big gun. The one that summarizes several misunderstandings in one sentence And the one that deniers never fail to bring up. It's their safe one, right? Are you ready for it? Here it goes. Quote. But if we come from monkeys, then why are there still monkeys? Let's take this apart because there is a lot of juice in this one. First of all, There's the logical fallacy of begging the question, or maybe it's the strawman fallacy, because this statement is attacking an affirmation that no scientist has ever made. The one that we come from monkeys. We don't come from monkeys. Write that down, we don't. No one ever said that. well, of course, no one except the evolution denialists. The reality is, that we and monkeys have a common ancestor. Remember the summary I read about Darwin's theory? So that common ancestor is far back. It's estimated that this ancestor species lived around 8 to 6 million years ago. So the monkeys and us, we are like cousins. We don't come from monkeys. We have a common grandfather, so to speak. The next failure of thinking there is that we are better than monkeys, and that therefore monkeys should not exist anymore. Kind of like when there is an upgrade, a new gaming console, for example, or a new version of a software, and they stop selling the old one, and they no longer make games for the old software or for the old console. But, again, the theory of evolution does not make these claims. We are not, quote-unquote, better than monkeys. Each of us, the human and the monkey, is adapted to their specific environment. We are not an upgrade of the monkey or of the common ancestor. So let's rephrase this. If we come from monkeys, then why are there still monkeys? Let's rephrase this to if I come from my cousin, then why does my cousin still exist? There are so many errors of thinking in there. We heard it in the school book passage that evolution is not linear, that there is like a huge family tree that connects all of the now living species to their common ancestry. And if we go back, we have a common ancestor with the monkeys. Go further back, and you will find a common ancestor with a dog, a cat, or why not a rabbit, since it's our animal of choice in this podcast. Or further back, and there's a common ancestor between the human and a goldfish. Or even further, and we will find a common ancestor that we share with a strawberry. Every form of life is connected in this single tree, it's not linear very complex which brings me to the next comment where people are asking for a transitional fossil so remember darwin also uh, discovered fossils and yes transitional fossils would be a great evidence and we have found some of these but this doesn't satisfy the denialists so let's say we find a transitional fossil of the stage between neanderthals and homo sapiens So the denialist's next step is simply to demand a transitional fossil between that newly found fossil and Homo sapiens. They will never accept the evidence because their mind is already set and because it's so difficult to think in huge timescales of millions of years. But here's the cool part now. Technology. We no longer need to find all these fossils because we can now sequence the DNA of a species. And in the DNA, there is all the evidence. For example, the DNA sequence of a human and a chimpanzee. They are 98.8% the same. That is very closely related. So once again, it's not, quote, just a theory. It's a theory with all its credibility, with data and evidence to back it up, and with no contradictions and all the evidences in the DNA. And no, there is no inscription in the DNA of Jewish words that are proof of God. It's simply a coincidence because of the letters that we chose to represent the proteins in the DNA because we picked the names for those proteins, the A's, the C's, the G's, and the T's. Okay, let's now look at another type of comment. The comment, what did we evolve from? Or what are we going to evolve into? So, this picks up on something that I have mentioned a moment ago, that many people mistake evolving with improving. But evolving simply means to change. Remember, even the school book mentioned this. Evolving means simply to change. Here's how this goes. In a species that reproduces sexually, the offspring inherits 50% of each parent's DNA. And in an asexually reproducing species, that's 100% from one parent's DNA. In both cases, however, sometimes a wrong protein can be copied, which produces a mutation, a change. And in sexually reproducing species, as humans are, each offspring will be a unique combination of the two parents' DNAs. That ensures a lot of variety. So you and your siblings. Yes, you share a lot of DNA, because it comes from the same parents, but each of you is also a unique combination of your parents' DNA. There's a lot of things where you'll like your siblings, but there are also differences, of course. And in the DNA, many traits of the newborn organism are defined. For us, there are details like eye color, the way our hair grows, how tall we get, uh, if we will get diseases in the future, etc. But there are things that all individuals of the species will have in common, unless a random mutation happens. So, For example, the, the fact that we have two arms, two legs, the proportions of the body, all of this. Well, unless a mutation happens, it's pretty much defined through all the species. When a mutation happens, three things can occur. The mutation for the organism in its habitat can be beneficial, harmful or neither of them and notice how i avoid the terms better and worse because it also depends a lot on the environment in the moment and environments can change so let's look at this if the mutation is beneficial then those individuals with the mutation will have an advantage over those who don't have the mutation and they will have greater chances of survival and will pass it on to the offspring over a time lapse of many generations, this new mutation will become more and more common. Let's just think of a mutation that makes you immune against any coronavirus. That would be very helpful in the current environment. Let's now think of a mutation that is harmful. And as you may guess, those organisms with the harmful mutation will have lower chances of survival. So, chances are that those individuals die before passing that trait on to the offspring. Or this will just happen rarely. And this is why we don't commonly observe these harmful traits, which gives us the illusion that our environment is just perfect for us and that there are people who jump to the conclusion of intelligent design that somebody must have built all this for us. But the reality is that there must also have been many organisms that were not fit to their environment who simply died out, these traits were not passed on successfully. Evolution is this huge game of trial and error, and this is what natural selection looks like. Finally, let's think of a trait that is neither harmful nor beneficial, like uh, wisdom teeth, for example. We see this mutation of people who are born without wisdom teeth, and in fact, it looks like I am one of those lucky guys. It's a mutation that is not harmful, so it does get passed on to the offspring in significant numbers, but it's also not beneficial, so it's not giving any advantage to people without wisdom teeth, and we currently don't see people without wisdom teeth taking over the world, but the environment can change, and maybe in the far future, having or not having wisdom teeth could become that significant advantage, who knows? So this is natural selection, survival of the fittest, of the best adapted to the current conditions that can change. Remember, the school textbook said it. Those who are best adapted to the current conditions survive longer and will produce more offspring that will share these same traits. And the environment can suddenly change, completely reshuffling the cards for everyone. Just think of a meteor striking. What happened to the dinosaurs? So there is no purpose here, no final goal. And we humans, as we exist right now, we are definitely not the top of all species. And we are not the final goal. We're not the strongest. We're not the fastest. We don't have the strongest teeth. We are definitely not the top of creation or the final goal. And in my opinion, thinking that we could be just that is very, very self-centered just like most religious thinking is, as mentioned on the show a few weeks ago. I will also repeat this argument from the show. The comment that I just have faith in science like others have faith in religions. So no, science is not a belief system, and it's not a body of knowledge. It's a way of thinking, and it's a way of exploring the world. And yes, there there, there was a Carl Sagan quote. So I don't have faith in science, I have trust in science its laws and theories and its methodology make reliable predictions that I can count on, like the time that the sun will come up each day. I don't need faith in that because there is evidence to back up these claims. And also the thing with science is that it evolves. So if it discovers new evidence that goes against previous theories, then these theories get adapted. And people will try To sell this as a weakness of science, because look, they got it wrong too. Well, of course people can get it wrong, we're all humans. So this is in fact the strength of science. It's self-correcting. Another comment is that I, or skeptics and scientists, put people like Darwin on a pedestal and worship them like they were a god. Well, not at all. Darwin also was a product of his time he thoroughly followed the scientific method and this helped us understand how all the species on earth are related but as a person, it looks like he was not that much to be admired. As many people of his time, it is reported that he was racist and pro-slavery which also, by the way, doesn't take merit away from his scientific work. We have to separate the person and the work. If we don't do that, we commit the ad hominem fallacy. Another example, Isaac Newton. He reportedly was also a very difficult character to be around. So no, we don't worship these people. We don't pray to them. We only appreciate their contributions to science and their methodology. All right, this is going to be a long show, but that should wrap it up about evolution. So the next time you hear someone say it's just a theory, that is a red flag for a person who has not understood the subject matter at all. Or if they use the claim that we come from monkeys, wrong, big red flag. So you might try to convince them otherwise, but be prepared that for some people this is going to be a lost cause. Why don't we continue with a better cause and move on to the game, find the fake. In this game, I present to you three news headlines, normally, and one of them has been turned into fake news. And I challenge you to figure out which one is the fake. And I'm going to read you this week's headlines now, and just because today we are back after such a long break, for the game, there are four items, but still one of them is fake. Let's check the headlines. Item number one. A study finds that a Greek volcano erupts more when the sea levels drop. Item two, a study of head injuries in sports suggests that women are more resistant against concussions than men. Item number three, scientists found a new material that can turn waste heat into electricity. And item number four, the Amazon rainforest now emits more carbon than it absorbs. So I just couldn't decide for three of them, so I'm putting all four out of here. You can still pause the show, you can play along to make your guess, It's always a very nice critical thinking exercise. But we're now going to reveal these in order. Let's see. So in item number one, I said, a study finds that a Greek volcano erupts more when the sea levels drop. And uh, this article is from Science News. And that's exactly the headline, so this one is true. Lower sea levels over the last 360,000 years are linked with more eruptions. So, this is a partially submerged volcano of Santorini in Greece. And, uh, yeah, so they looked at fossil records, you know, at the rocks. You can see deposits in there. So, the volcano doesn't even say the name in here. Yeah, but they checked the sea levels in there. So, when it dips more than 40 meters below the present day level, it triggers a fit of eruptions and during times of higher sea level, the volcano is quiet. Um, this comes from originally, the original sources, is the magazine Nature Geoscience. I found this article on Science News, written by Maria Temming, August 2nd, so very recent. Let's go on. So item number two, a study of head injuries in sports suggests that women are more resistant against concussions than men. The stronger gender, right? Here, uh, This comes from nature.com, written on August 3rd by Catherine Sanderson. And the heading reads, why sports concussions are worse for women. So it's the opposite. This one was the fake. As women's soccer, rugby, and other sports gain popularity, scientists are racing to understand how the female brain responds to head injury. So apparently, this is what the article reveals, is that women suffer more and stronger concussions and uh, I just found also an article on, on a German webpage, Kicker where actually they are now asking to ban headings, head plays from soccer because of the dangers this would severely change the sport of course but yeah, it seems dangerous let's quickly move on to the other two which of course are both true items. Number three, scientists found a new material that can turn waste heat into electricity. So, of course, this is not a new concept. This comes from sciencemag.org from the AAAS. All are reliable sources. Robert F. Service wrote this on August 2nd. Cheap material converts heat to electricity. And it's called purified polycrystalline tin selenide. And it could be the basis for cheap devices that convert uh, waste heat into electricity. And this is a very important field. We need more and more electricity. Demands are getting higher and higher. And currently we still get most of the electricity on the globe from burning fossil fuels. We've talked about it last week on the show, how that is not good. So definitely people need to look into these type of materials. So selenite, tin selenite, purified polycrystalline tin selenite. We have to look into this more. Looking forward to see more news like this. And item number four, a sad one. The Amazon rainforest now emits more carbon than it absorbs, which is also true. This comes from Science Focus. This is the BBC page, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, it is. And uh, this article goes from uh, Jason Goodyear once again. Good, I should really... Contact this guy to to interview him. Published 29th of July. Um, The Amazon rainforest now emits more carbon than it absorbs. Fires burned in the forest tipped the balance. Decade-long study has found. So, of course, there are natural fires also in the Amazon rainforest, but we know that this is one of the lungs of the earth. Those trees are very important to absorb carbon dioxide and to produce oxygen, but they're burning down. And part of it is naturally, but also huge parts of the rainforest are burned down by people, and especially now by the Bolsonaro government. So this is just getting worse. And uh, a tipping point has been reached, as this article reveals, that it now emits more carbon than it absorbs, and this is very alarming. Instead of uh, fighting global warming, climate change, this just looks like it's going to contribute to it more. Whoa, water show. Looks like we're going over 40 minutes here. It's nice to be back and it's nice to challenge you, fine rabbit listeners, once again with this game. It's always fun for me to put those items together and to think about which one I can possibly turn into fake. And yes, I totally got inspired by the SGU, of course, the Skeptic's Guide to the Universe, where they call it science or fiction. And I always play along when I listen to it. And I also notice how Dr. Steve Novella, how it's fun for him to come up with this and challenge his panel. As promised at the beginning of the show, let's now do some housekeeping. First of all, TikTok is going well. I have continued to make content there and recently received a nice boost in follower numbers, which are now just over 30,000. That's insane to think about that. There are 30,000 people people—a full soccer stadium that want to see my content crazy also thanks to tiktok and my recent shift in content i have found a nice group of skeptics and atheist creators from mexico and other latin american countries so this is all spanish-speaking content of course well during my summer break i was a guest in two of those spanish-speaking podcasts and they are available on youtube already we actually went live there so i will share the links in the show notes They are not available yet on Spotify and other platforms, but the plan is that they will be soon. So the first one was with Alan on his podcast, Escepticismo Racional," Rational Skepticism, where we talked about our journeys to atheism for about two hours of time. And we also took comments from the audience, of course. It was very interesting because our journeys are very different. You already know my journey from episode 77, and if you haven't listened yet, go for it. It's an episode that's very dear to me. Well, Alan used to be a Jehovah's Witness, but he dropped out just a couple of years ago, similar to Natalie from the Mormon Church, who was on this show on Episodes 58 and 59. So my plan is also to get Alan on this podcast and learn about his journey of leaving the cult of Jehovah's Witnesses. One week later I was on a panel podcast that also features Alan and two others. And the podcast is called La Navaja de Hitchens, Hitchens Razor, which is a very nice uh, logical argument which simply states that uh, claims without evidence can simply be rejected without evidence. It's a very nice shortcut in reasoning that we also should discuss in more detail in the show. So in honor to Hitchens and this uh, way of reasoning, they named the podcast like this. And on the show, we discussed everything around the law of attraction. This, Dear rabbits, will also be the topic of this podcast for next week. But it will be another solo episode. I'm not going to get guests on that one. Anyway, if you speak Spanish and want to hear this discussion, you can follow the link in the show notes. Next, I have decided that I want to start a new project, also a Spanish-speaking skeptical panel podcast. Something in the footsteps of The Skeptic's Guide to the Universe, but in Spanish for the Latin American market, because this is still missing. So I'm currently looking to put together a panel of skeptics who will come together weekly, who know what they are talking about. And of course, there has to be a good chemistry among everyone. And since I'm kind of an expert on math, physics, astronomy, I'm looking for people who are experts in things that I'm not so good at, like history philosophy, religion, medicine, politics. So if you know anyone who would be fit for this project, please let me know. Drop me a note. And finally, on other news, it looks like we teachers are going to return to the classrooms here in Mexico. Well, no one really knows what this school year will be like. Everything is still possible. But the federal government is determined to send us back, no matter what. That's what the president said. Even if it snows or if there are thunderstorms, we're going to be back because enough is enough. So currently, new infection numbers are higher than ever, especially in the state I'm living in. Even higher than during the worst of times. But now they're opening everything from restaurants to gyms to football stadiums, malls, and also schools. It doesn't really make sense. Well, that just means that we have to be extra careful and not let our guard down, even if we're already fully vaccinated. So still wear your masks, still stay away from people, still wash your hands, put antibacterial gel on, clean everything, etc, etc. Don't get me wrong. I'd love to have classes with all students back in the classroom again. Nothing can replace that. But safety should always go first. And right now, It just doesn't seem safe at all. And we made it possible to keep classes going online, at least with the older kids, so why not keep doing this until it's really safe? Unfortunately, teachers are receiving a lot of hate from society simply because we had the chance to keep working from home. I just hope that they won't take any decisions that later will have to be regretted. Anyway, for me, that means that I have to come up with a bulletin board decoration. My absolute nightmare, my weak suit. I hope I will find a simple yet appealing idea. But um, if you have any suggestions, if you're good at this, please let me know. My deadline is August 13th. By then, it all has to be up. Oh, and I probably also have to conclude my experiment of scientific curiosity. Since the pandemic started and barbershops are also high-risk places, I have not cut my hair, just to see how long it would grow and to calculate the growth rate. Right now, it's 17 months and counting, but it looks like it's probably a good idea to get that haircut back to my old look before classes start. Or should I keep growing it? I'm not sure yet, as the police passes the neighborhood I don't think it looks bad the way it is right now, and it doesn't even feel weird anymore, like it did in the beginning. So I'm kind of digging the longer hair. Well, let me know. I'll post some pictures of the current state on the podcast's Instagram page. In case I go for a haircut, I will measure the hair before, how much it grew in all the time, and I will calculate the growth rate. And if not, the experiment shall continue. After all, it's scientific curiosity you can get away with pretty much everything if you just say, for science. Hmm. Yeah. Um It's nice to be back. There's no place like home. And just yesterday, as I went walking in the park in the morning, I just noticed a little detail how this pandemic has reshaped our thinking and our behavior. So I live in front of a park. We have this park right in the middle of the block. And I like to walk there for fitness, to get some fresh air. And it's kind of the only thing you can do right now in a pandemic. And it's a shady place. And it's this nice thing that three laps are exactly one kilometer. So that morning yesterday, I was not alone. There were three other neighbors. But without communicating anything, we would always make sure that we'd stay out of each other's way. So there are ways that you can cut through the inside of the park, which some of us did. Or when passing just went on the street. And uh, I'm not mentioning this to brag about smart behavior or anything like that, but rather as a little anecdote to show how this pandemic has already reshaped our shared consciousness and our behavior as a consequence. We just make sure we don't run into each other, that we keep these one and a half or two meters of distance. So I wonder what will happen to face masks, to handshakes, to antibacterial gel, when this pandemic finally is going to be under control. It will be very interesting to observe. Oh, dear rabbits, this was a marathon episode. Uh, So I will now go and uh, shut up to save my voice. I will drink some peppermint tea with honey. And uh, yeah, so it's nothing to be worried about. I made sure of that. And I'll talk to you all next week. Dear Rabbits, this is all for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you so much for taking your time and listening. If you like the show and you want to support me, there are easy and painless ways which are for free. Rate and review the show on iTunes and Spotify. Subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcatching platform. Share it with your friends on social media. Follow me on Instagram, Facebook and TikTok. You can find all the links in the show notes. Every little bit helps. If you want to be on the show or know somebody that you'd like to be a guest, please drop me a note on social media. Stay safe and stay curious. Until next Thursday, I am Marco and this has been Where Did the Rabbit Go?